Aggression is one of the last dirty words in our culture. You can be crass, you can be rude, you can even be profane, but ho, oh, aggressive, don't be aggressive, except it's wrong, dead wrong. I promise you nothing of meaning and transcendence will come into your life passively. It's time for you to get into the arena to push back against a passive, mediocre existence. I'm Brian Tome, and this is The Aggressive Life. Welcome to today's episode of The Aggressive Life. My name is Brian Tome, and we're going to talk about something that's pretty aggressive today. We're going to talk a little bit about a bunch of things, one of them being aging. Aging, you say, how is that aggressive? It just kind of happens. Well, yes, it does happen. Things start to sag, things start to wrinkle, and a bunch of other things take place as well. But how you treat and steward your life will make a difference about your age. When we're 22 years old, the idea of saving for retirement is just awful. Who wants to save for retirement? That's why very few of us do. By the time you get to my age, 53, every dollar you put in way, way earlier in your life, you're kind of thankful that you did because you actually can see when you might actually use it. This is what aging does to us. It numbs us down. We think that it's going to happen to me someday, but I want to ignore it and stay away from it. No, it's happening to us right now. And the aggressive choices we make about our lives right now will dictate whether our life right now is enjoyable and fulfilling and whether it will be so in the future. This goes to the choice we make about when we get married, the choice we make about how we handle our kids. If we have kids, the choice we make about what we do with our money, the choices we make around our occupation. Living with an awareness that we will get older and we do things today we'll be thankful for for a long time or we will not do things today that we won't be thankful for a long time is one of the things I'm going to talk today with Billy Cunningham. He's known in Cincinnati as a top jock, has the most successful talk show in Cincinnati, maybe in Cincinnati history. He bills himself as a great American. He definitely plays to the right. This is not about the right or the left or the middle. Whether you are in either one of those spectrums, wonderful, good for you. This is about something that transcends politics. So do not allow his political persuasion to encourage you or to discourage you. Rather, I want you to take a look at a 71-year-old man who has lived his life well, who has lived his life with dedication and aggression, and his life has simply worked, and it is working. He's not done. His name is Bill Cunningham. I call him William Cunningham. William, great to have you with us today. Brian, how are you? I am doing wonderful. Even that voice, even that voice, that voice. Why do you laugh when I talk? It's aggressive. It's not good. (laughs) It's not good. it's It's an aggressive cadence. Did you intentionally make that cadence the way you talk, or do you always talk that way? It's November of 1960, no, I'm sorry, 1958. My mother sits me down after a fourth grade class. Fourth grade. I got to be nine, ten years old. Remember this like it happened yesterday. I love my mom. She said, Willie, she called me Willie, I have some bad news. I said, what is it, mom? She said, I talked to your teachers, and you have a problem. I said, what is it? 
They said, you'll never work in a job where you have to talk a lot. I said, well, why is that? And she said, because you stutter. And I did stutter. She said, because you're a stutterer, don't become a lawyer and don't like get into something you have to talk every day. You could be an electrician or a plumber. You kind of be by yourself. I said, okay, mom, that doesn't sound, you know, why? I mean, stuttering, I get over stuttering. She said, you probably won't. So please don't have a job where you talk a lot. From the nuns of St. Savior Grade School, the Sisters of Charity, in the late 1950s. Those nuns jacked up your life almost. Years went by, Brian Tome. Years went by. We had our 50th anniversary of my 8th grade graduating class, which would have been 1962. I'm sitting there at my 50th 8th grade reunion, and there walks in Sister Monica Ann, who was the nun who told my mother, make sure little Billy doesn't have a job where he talks a lot. I said, sister, I love you, and you're wrong. You said, a million followers, nah, 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 nah. I said, I made it in a profession where you talk a lot, which was practicing law, which I still do a little bit. I got a couple of criminals. I got a couple DUIs, always have one or two. Want to go down to the courthouse, like to meet the judges. They laugh at me, the prosecutors, and I work out deals, a deal deal. <laughs> but I have in a profession where I, I do nothing but talk. I know that deal. You what, want kind a, deal? Deal. What, what kind of deal? Give me a deal deal. Give me a deal. A deal deal. That's a deal Kelly deal. Kelly Savalas, Kelly's Heroes, two That's few Americans. Americans deal, know deal. it, yes. Get, get the bank. And so when I walk into a courtroom downtown, it's like, Willie's here. What do you need? I said, I need this. I need that. Free the guilty and the innocent. It's my motto. Let them all go. All right. So enough with the negative waves, Moriarty. If you, if you, th- that's another Kelly's Hero line. Like do you Moriarty. remember you remember that? Yeah, okay. Um, guy with a lollipop in his mouth. Yes, he was. He was a guy, Donald Sutherland. Sucker. Yeah. So- what was it in you that made you say that device that advice is wrong? I'm going to do this. That was that was an aggressive move on your part, or did you not think about it at that moment? Certainly- not, not as a fourth grader. Okay. Because you know, I was nine, ten years old. I said, Okay, mom. So in the summertime when I was 12, 13, 14, I started working for Bishop Electric. And I started doing a little bit of electrical work. And then I went to, as you know, went to high school at Deer Park, the home of the Wildcats. I'm sitting in Dummy Hall. On November the 22nd, 1963, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Because I was told at Muller High School to get out, because we had no money. My father had left, alcoholic. He had left a mother, his wife, my mother, and four kids, minor kids. I had no money. So Muller High School said I couldn't go there. I go to Deer Park High School, first day of class. My mom says, you go walk up there and walk in there. I said, Mom, I'm not going to Deer Park High School. I went to St. Savior Grade School, went to Muller for a year. I've never had nothing but religious teachers. I'm not going to Deer Park. It was a step down. It was terrible. It was awful. It was like maybe going to use or somewhere like that. And I said, I'm not going. She said, you're going. I waited a day. The next day I walked up there and I walked up the steps of those, that building and I walked up to the front desk and said, I have, to, I have to go to school here. I failed. By the time November 22nd, which was what, like eight weeks after school, I had an F in English, had an F in Latin, had an F in history, had an F in uh, English class, had an F in phys ed, an F. And I wanted to flunk out because I wanted to go back to Mueller. Yes. Kennedy is shot. Lewis Manning, three o'clock in the afternoon. I regret to inform you that President John F. Kennedy was killed today. And I felt as a Catholic boy, as an Irish Catholic boy, so dirty that I was sitting in a class for dummies that were flunking. I said, I'm going to change. I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm. I walk into a 
to the basketball program, and I played at Muller. I played as an eighth grader. I started for Muller High School as a freshman. And the coach said, can you play basketball? And I said, I can play a lot better than these guys you have out here now. And that started me on to college. Wow. Led the city in scoring, first team All-City, basketball scholarship. And from that, I said, okay, what I'm going to do now is build upon that, and I want to go to law school because I love Perry Mason and Owen Marshall. I like the idea of uh, having innocent men found not guilty. So, so when did the school. stutter drop away? I, I don't recall exactly <laughs> when it was, but it was sometime in high school. It simply le- The stuttering was caused, I'm sure, looking back in time, by the terrible domestic issues I saw between my mom and my dad. My mm. dad was an alcoholic. My, uh, my other two brothers have a slight stutter, too. And really? they, they still have it. But I was able to overcome it because of the emotional torment we were in as, as kids. Wow. That's what caused the stuttering. Now, there was no psychologist. There was no psychiatrist. That's there right. was no counseling. That didn't exist. But looking back in time, that's what caused it. You stick a rag in it and you keep going. That was America Absolutely, in the 60s. man. So what do you think today? I hear a number of people in their teens or 20s, they'll say to me, Yours is the last generation that's going to out-earn your parents. The rest of us here, we're screwed because the economy is not what it could be. You've taken uh, the, just the, the the macroeconomics of a global economy are totally different. And I've got it harder than you did, and it's going to be harder for me to succeed. You as a guy who had speech issues, you were flunking, you... Um, what do, you th- what do you say to that as a, as a father figure to a lot of us who are younger? I'm also now a grandfather. Grandfather figure. And I have teenage grandchildren. I can smell the Bengay a boy in and a the girl. studio right and here. And it's amazing. They don't understand our experiences. When I talk to them about the 1970s, or 80s, 90s, they couldn't care less. They were born in 01 and 03. You can't tell a teenage girl or teenage boy. Let me tell you how it was back in the 1960s. They couldn't. It'd be like my parents talking to me about the 1930s. Click. You go right. off automatically. The experiences of the parent do not wash upon the child whatsoever. The child is influenced more by culture than by parents. And by the time you get them the iPhone and the cell phone and they have the social media thing, if they don't have a core group of principles and morals and ethics that are gathered in the first 10 or 11 years of your life, man, you're walking uphill. But we all do have the same story in that we've got to make a decision to get our life rolling in the right direction. That's something that... Everybody has to do or everybody refuses to do. You, what you chose to do when you were in high school and what you chose to do a couple decades ago is no different than somebody else choosing to do something that goes a different way. Yes? I, did, I didn't know that life existed until I caddied to the Kenwood Country Club. I caddied in 62, 63, 64, 65. And I saw, I never saw it before. I saw Cadillacs. I saw Buicks. I saw individuals that dressed nicely. I saw individuals that acted correctly. Kenwood Country Club gave me an aspect of my life I didn't know existed in Deer Park. My, my vision was tunneled. Uh, I did. I played sports, didn't watch television, never listened to radio, couldn't care less about radio. When I went to Kenwood Country Club, I saw the rich and the famous. Uh, I saw people who said, hey, that's pretty good. I said, I want to do things in my life when I get older to make it possible for me to join this place which at the time was like $12,000 when I joined. Hmm. And now it's 55000 But there's got to be a light that's turned on inside your skull by somebody. It could be you. could be a teacher. could be a parent. 
Could be uh, something on television, radio. It could be something that the child, the boy or the girl, something clicks on and says, okay, I understand it. I didn't have those experiences until I saw Campbell Country Club, and I said, I can't believe this place. I didn't know it existed. Yes. So you're how old right now, William? 71. 71. All right. So let's play a little game and see how, see how well you can remember this, because it's, it's really pretty impressive to have somebody on our podcast who is 71, who's been around the block, who has had multiple success in multiple areas. And failures. And failures. Don't forget about failures. Totally failures. And uh, you're, you've not failed at your marriage. You've been married for how long to Penny? 51. 51 years. She wouldn't have sex with me, so we got... Can I tell you that story? But, uh, tell us how you please your wife sexually, yes. I can't do that. that. You can't do that because you don't please your wife sexually? I don't think I do, really. <laughs> it's called I, the... I might be wrong, <laughs> but I'm 19 years old. Yes. And I, I got testosterone pumping out of me crazy. She wouldn't have sex with me till we got married. You know what I said? What? Will you marry me? <laughs> she said yes. We got married within four months. It was unbelievable. <laughs> it does. It's, it's amazing. She's, she's 19. I'm 19. And, and I go to Getz Jewelers, and I put down a deposit on a $48 uh, ring, an engagement ring, $48. I didn't have any money. So I had to pay like $4 a month. When I finally got the $48, we got married, and I... Uh, we went into the, their home in York Avenue on Deer Park. It was Rick and Ruth and the five other kids sitting at the kitchen table. Penny walks in and puts her hand out and said, Daddy, take a look. Uh. And her father, U.S. Marine, Iwo Jima, looked at that and said, where'd you get that from, Billy, from a Cracker Jack box? Uh. I said, uh. no, sir. I, I, said, well, what, I said, what is this? I said, I've asked your daughter to marry me. And she said, yes. She, and he looked at Penny and said, you're not marrying this bum. You're not marrying this guy. So I got mad. I walked out and I said, this will be the shortest engagement on record if you're not with me in the car in five minutes. She wow. came out in five wow. minutes. Wow. And we drove off, got married within four months. Boy, let's go here. We never know where you're going to go with this guy here. Don't you know, don't you realize, Bill, that's not the way it works. You have to, you have to live with somebody. You have to live with some, You have to make sure that your parts fit together before you actually you make a commitment. You know how hard it was for me to sleep in a bed with a woman when I was 19 years old? No, how hard? I couldn't believe it. I never slept with anybody in my whole life except my brothers. We yeah. slept in the same twin bed for like 10 years, me and my brother, in the same bed, twin bed. And then all of a sudden, I'm in a double bed with another person. And yeah. I'm thinking, this ain't right, man. There's something wrong. Now, what, but what I like about this and why this is relevant to our theme is, dude, that is an aggressive move saying, all right, then I'm going to marry you. I'm going to push that on. Yeah. We're, we're in perpetual engagement mode today as young males and young women. Perpe it goes on and on and on and on and on because we're afraid to think maybe this is the one or maybe this one will work. We had no idea. No, we didn't know. No but idea. we said, hey. Well, you've been married a long time. You had no idea. Uh, when you get married when you're 20, 21, you're, you're 22 people, I was. People get married now when they're 30 or 35 because you don't want to make a commitment. Yeah. And, and the era that I lived and where I lived – Whoever you were dating when you were 20 years old, you got married. That's right. Because mom and dad said, you're not leaving this home. And it worked. It worked. It worked. It, you work it out. My God, well, yeah, that's why it works. Somehow it works out. Every marriage only works because Ups, you work downs, it out. good, bad. Completely. Completely. I've had disasters. I've had great times. I wouldn't want to share my life with anybody but the senior judge of the Ohio Court of Appeals, and that's my wife. 
I didn't realize that you would. The senior judge of the Ohio Court of yeah. It must be fun to have an argument with her. What, what are your arguments like? I said to her, look, I'm not standing up when you walk in the room anymore. I said, <laughs> I, I'm not doing that. But she started off. We had a deal that I'd go to college and law school. Then she would go to college and law school. So it took us from like, gosh, she didn't get out to 1984, and I started in 1970. So we spent 15 years college law school, college law school. And so that was the deal. And I said, I honor you and you want to, I want you to, I want to be your helpmate. How can I help you be the best that you can be? And she said, I want to be a lawyer. I said, well, okay, I'll go first, then second, then you go first and second. And then I started practicing law, representing criminals, miscreants, and thieves of every description. (laughs) And then that's how I made money. And I still represent a few miscreants. So let's go back to my original question. I was trying to get get, get out. Uh, what was the question? The qu- I, I haven't gotten it for. What I, is I, the, question? I, I, I the question? I want to get the question. Here's the question. Give me the damn You're question. You're going back to 25. What advice would you give yourself if you were 25 years old right now? I'm gonna, and here I'm going to ask you 25. I'm going to ask you at 35, and I'm going to ask you at 55. Completely different. 25. I would have said to myself, "Do not sweat the small stuff." At 25, my son was born, the only one I'm aware of. He was born at Toledo Hospital. Uh, And Penny went through 37 hours of labor. It was living hell. Evan's finally born. And she comes out of the delivery room. And we only had a male name picked. And I could not go in the delivery room. That was illegal. So I had to wait outside. And I opened up the covers to see if it was a boy or a girl. And Penny looked up to me and said, it's Evan. Uh, Evan. I mean, I was so it was. I go down after about three or four hours with Penny to the. They wouldn't let you hold the kid for like three days. Mm. Had to stay in the hospital four days. And so he, they held him up on the glass, and I could put my hand up, and I said, "Evan, for the rest of your life, I am for you. I will do everything I can to be the best father to you that my dad never was to me." Mm. And so from that point on, I whenever. There's rough waters. He's a typical teenage boy. Now he's been married about 20 years, has two kids of his own. To me, he's still that little baby in the window. And when he asked so me, so what for does that mean for a 25 year old? You're you're you're, you're rambling here, Grandpa. I, I'm, what, what, I'm what's saying, that mean for a 25 year old? Do not sweat the small stuff. It's not important. It is. I, when I'm, I was 25, I was full of urine and vinegar. If I would go back in time, I, I would say, Willie. Don't sweat the so small what's stuff. So what, what's what are some small things that we might think Bills are big things? Bills that you miss. Arguments with your wife, arguments with your husband, uh, something bad happening at work. In my case, it was losing a case. And I took it home with me and I was unhappy and I wasn't the best man I could be because I was befuddled. And I was too focused on making money and playing golf and having my male friends doing that stuff, and I, I thought too many, too many irrelevancies was imp- were Let important. Let things go. That's Let a great em. one. Okay. Uh, 45, 50, what would you say somebody Well, by 45 and 50, I'd been involved in several businesses. Some failed, like Willie Sports Cafe. I started them all in 1989, and I went through the good and the bad and the ugly. Jose Rio dancing on the bar after 1990. The, the red legs in the mid-1990s, Pete Rose in 89 and 90, all that stuff that went on. Then the Bengals with uh, the disastrous decade, the lost decade. And from that, some of them really succeeded, some of them failed. I got out about 15 years into it. Hmm. And, uh, you know, two of the three of them are still open. I have pride in that sense. But business-wise, you have lots of failures if you take risks and lots of rewards. And, And the biggest failure you have in life is not taking a risk. 
You fail by not risking. So you would tell those of us who are mid-age to still be in the risk game. Absolutely. Be risky. Jump off bridges. Jump off rocks. Go to Las Vegas. Walk around the Grand Canyon. Go to Turkey. (laughs) Go to Italy. Get out and do things. Live your life knowing that there's a, sometimes no net. Yes. But but you have to jump. You have to try. And you have you only get one shot at this. And you know everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Mm. We assume that there's an afterlife. We assume good stuff. Someone's keeping score. We assume that's happening. And I'd rather live my life as if there's a God to find out there isn't, than to live my life as if there isn't a God to find out there is. All right. And then you're with somebody now who's about your age. What do you say to your peers? Like, here's how you want to live your life. What's What about now? Well, number one is the relationship you have with your husband or wife is the most critical relationship in your life. If I go home every night and there's peace and there's quiet, there's no fighting and arguing, we have stimulating conversations and sex every month or two, I'm good to go. Every and, month or two? Every month what? or two if I'm lucky. And, and that's good. And then I have a nice little meal and I walk around because of aortic valve replacement I had about a month and a half ago. That was one of those moments in life when the doctor says you may not leave the table. And from that, I, I walk two miles a day. I'm quiet. Penny has her space. I got my space. We're separate and apart, but we come together every now and then. Yeah, this is a big one, uh, Bill. You're, you're 71, not had anybody on the show that's Gosh, in their 70s, in their 60s. That's old, man. In a, it, 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 That's old. It, it, it is old. That's old. You, you are up there, and you absolutely, absolutely, if you're not the top, you're one of the top in energy. How is that? You've got energy. 36 years. Okay. Tell, tell us, how do you manage your energy? What can we do to stoke our energy? Do you think that you have a gene that is purely the energy gene that helps you to have a positive outlook? What are some of the secrets for your your success? I'm excited by little things. I want to enjoy each day. From the day you're born to the day you die, you get so many days. Your heart beats about 3 billion times. If, if you live to be 90 years, you, know, you, you might have about 36,000 days. That's all you got. And so I want to live each day so that the day at the end of the day, I say, you know what? I had a good day. I, 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 you know, I'm a Roman Catholic. I say, God, thank you for what happened to me today. I got some family members that are hurting. One, two, three, here they are. I like these things. Thanks for all the gifts you've given me, and thank you for Penny. Then I try to go to sleep. And do you think that that system you just out, outlined for us, is, does that system of how you organize your day give you your energy, or is that system coming from your energy? I think it's like a herpes infection. It goes back and forth. When you have energy... You're talking herpes. You're having sex once a month and you're talking herpes. Really, that's that, the illustration you're going to use. I have none of that stuff, but I tell you, what happens is when you get excited about life, little things, because we live our lives on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Graduations are nice. You know, proms are nice. Going to a Super Bowl is nice. But you live your day on a Monday and a Tuesday. If you can't make those days interesting and provocative and different, you're not living your life to the fullest. So when I get up in the morning, I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. When I come off the air, I got things going on. If I wasn't here, I'd be uh, on the golf course chipping and putting. I'd be at the websites. I'd be taking my two-mile walk, which I do every day. Uh, I'd be uh, talking to the grandkids, texting back and forth. I'd be talking to my son, what's going on, my daughter-in-law. I want to be connected and involved. Yeah. So when people say, how long will you be on the radio? I've done 37 years. I hope I got another 37. I may not make it there, but I'm going to try to stay as long as I enjoy it. And I really, I enjoy it now more than in 1983 when I started. And it's completely different than when I started. So this drive that you have, do you think you developed that drive or do you think you were born with that drive? Yes. 
because I had to achieve in my life. Otherwise, I saw the downside of economics. I, saw, I lived where St. Vincent de Paul was dropping food off. I lived where we had no money. Now, I don't mean $5. I mean no money. And now I live a better life. Not a rich life. I don't have a plane. I don't have other toys, but I live pretty good. And so I fear going back in time when I had nothing. So I always in life when I do a business deal, I say, what's the downside? Where's the door? How do I get out of this room? There's a door there. How do I get out? How do I fashion the deal so I can walk out the door? If I'm in a room without a door, man, you're in trouble. And I've been in those rooms and I know how not to do it again. And so what I want to do each day is think of ways of paying it forward. I like to do unbridled acts of kindness, random acts of kindness to people. And I, I get joy by, by giving things to people. I get joy by doing it. But I love every day, Brian. I can't wait to get up tomorrow to see what it's going to bring. There is a joy that we have to have about life. There's, there's got to be a sense of anticipation of... Simple. I only get this day today. I only get tomorrow once and a leveraging and an embracing of it. And I, t- I just see too few of us who are really like grabbing. Like I had a, <laughs> how many kids do you have? One that I'm aware of. You're one your one. way. I you know you had one son. I don't know if you had another One daughter son. Or not. That's all I got to my knowledge. I had a, I made a kind of aggressive move just this, um, just recently. My youngest child had her most, her, her last significant birthday. You know, we have kids, significant ones are, you know, their first teenage birthday, they're 16, they're 18, they're 21. These are the kind of the significant ones, right? And my older daughter said to me, hey, dad, you know, Mariah's the youngest child and she actually got your worst. We've talked about that. I have. I was laziest for my last child. You sure. Know. Yeah, you're, You've you're, done it all. Nothing, yeah, nothing's yeah. new. Exactly. Your, your first kid, they say, Dad, read me, read me yes, another chapter. Yes, yes. Come the last kid, read me another chapter. No, no more chapters. Shut kid. up, kid. You're going to bed. Shut get up, to, get, get to bed. And so, so I thought, yeah, I haven't made a big deal about Mariah's birthday. So I, I took her to Vegas for her 21st birthday. With Dad? Yes. I bet she enjoyed that. She did. What? She did. She I'm enjoyed time you. with you? Tell, well, it wasn't just her and I. I actually took her and I took the other kids and their spouse as well if they did their airfare and their hotels. I paid for shows and I paid for drinks and all that kind of stuff. So it was pretty expensive, but it's wonderful being an empty nester. I'm an empty nester, right? So I just thought with her, it was honestly at the end of our time, there was, there was tears, like joy tears. Our, my family had an amazing time for two days. Memories. Memories, embracing each other. And my, my daughter just still saying, thanks, dad. Thanks, dad. Thanks, dad. And that was, that was not the kind of thing that people like me are trained to do. People like me who are pastors by day, that's my day job, not a podcast host. People like me who are 53 and should be perhaps saving even more for the future. People like me don't make those kind of aggressive moves. That was an aggressive move, but I was doing it for her future and our family's future. And I don't see enough people making those moves. You agree or disagree, William? In July, I have a home in Naples, Florida. We're going to go down. And my son, daughter-in-law, and my two teenage grandkids are going to go with us. And we do it maybe twice a year. The best time we have is together as one family unit. They bring their dog, little Piper, 
who's the joy of the family. And it's the only time the six of us are together in one place at one time. My son's a real estate appraiser. My daughter-in-law works for Deer Park Schools. Two kids are Madeira High School. And they live, and thank God they have their separate lives. They used to sleep at my house once a week. Uh. That stopped about three years ago. They don't do that anymore. Mm. I'm still poppy, but I'm not like poppy, I'll see you Friday night poppy. It's like, <laughs> it's a texting poppy. Yes. So the time that we come together, Penny and I look forward to it. We look forward to it before it happens. We love it when it's there and we miss it when it's gone because I know it's not coming back. And at some point, you want to give a kid roots and wings. They have roots and now they have wings and now they're flying their own lives. And you hope you have a moral, ethical core that you can make decisions that are correct. And I have no idea what what lies in the future for them. And I just pray they have a good life. Well, we get set up like that because we make moves. You've made decisions, Bill, to... To pull that stuff together, and it's 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 pretty pretty special. All right, last last thing I'll talk about. What do you mean last thing? I got plenty of time. You got more? All right. Well, I, I don't know if you're getting interesting enough. You might not be interesting what enough. What about I'm, talk radio? I was going to actually talk Catholicism. Please do, because I think you're the actually first Catholic I've had on this show. You're the Waxing first seventy some year old. You're the first Catholic. So, um, why in the world can these guys not get married? Well, in the old days, they did for the first 1,000 years. Yes. It didn't develop until the feudal system occurred, in which case the bishops and the church wanted the intestate succession to have the property go to the church and not to the wife. So the first 1,000 years, uh, because the apostles were married, the priests were married. About 1,000 years ago, the church was losing money because— when, when uh, the priest got married and died, the property stayed with the woman. And so you want to be married to the church, and so therefore the church got all the property. They wanted to accumulate money, accumulate wealth, so they changed the rules. It could change back the other way. But the only reason it happened, you always follow the money in politics, it happened because of money. They wanted to have the church, through uh, uh, probate, so to speak, get all the property the person owned and not giving it to the wife who would marry other guys who weren't Catholic. I did not know that. That's the reason. Fascinating. So you got that thing a thousand years ago that you're not that excited about with the Catholic Church. It wouldn't bother me if they got married. But if you don't make it the the rules if you don't play the game. So how do they counsel married couples when they have no idea how men and women operate in a marriage? Yes. That's a problem. I think it would enrich the, uh, the clergy by getting married to see all the problems and joys that we have. Well, as a Protestant, certainly it gives you a knowledge base. I, I, I appreciate that Catholicism has a different take on things. I don't expect all churches to be the same. I just, I, I just do find it interesting that we're, we're not having a more level-headed discussion about it. I, I think I didn't know about that never, history. That's it, fascinating. It'll never happen. I mean, not. I want never as long. Maybe in a thousand years. There's no prohibition against it except by papal fiat. It's well, not, not like in the Constitution, the Bible. Well, you know, scarcity brings clarity. That's true with our budget processing and with the Catholic Church. Scarcity of lack of priests is going to bring clarity. They can't, they can't run away from that one. They can't. And I think it wouldn't bother most Catholics for the Pope to allow marriage. He could do it by the stroke of his pen tomorrow, and then it would be okay. What they ought to do is bring back the priests who left to get married, and that's a good stock of individuals that would fill up the churches with priests because most of the churches are hurting. So so you look at this situation, obviously the Catholic Church with some of the sex scandals, that's awful, awful, awful. So some people would say, well, why, why are you Catholic? You shouldn't even be Catholic. You would say to that person what? 
I grew up as a Catholic. My oldest memories are of the Sisters of Charity. It was put in me from the age of zero till I was uh, 16. It's part of who I am. And I, I have comfort going to a mass, the ritualistic mass, which lasts about an hour. Every mass is basically the same, which is different than Crossroads. Uh, I, I believe in the sacraments. I believe there's a life ever after. And I have warmth and caring and feeling when I go to a mass. I feel like it's where I belong. So your faith isn't rocked at all by people in your faith who are unfaithful? Zero. Yeah. I don't. Um, if 5% of the priests yeah. were pedophiles and 80% of the hierarchy hit it, I, I will not permit those evildoers to keep me from my faith. Uh, to me, that's separate and apart. That's a good word. Even if the Pope himself had done something horrible, I would say, well, that's too bad. It's not going to affect me in the body of Christ because this guy is a pervert. He's not going to drive me from my faith. I'm not going to let that happen. Yes. I think we are uh, I think Come we're on. about the end of our aggressive life. I've been here with the great, great Billy Cunningham. The great American. Of, uh, the great American of, of 700 WLW fame in Cincinnati and a worldwide celebrity and a Catholic reformer. He's a man who we can all learn from, even though he should have sex with his wife more than once a month. You've not been married as long as I have. (laughs) Thanks for coming today, Bill. Thank you, and God bless America. Hey, thanks for listening. If this episode has impacted you, hey, share with somebody else. All of us have influence. People that can look to us for direction, use your influence positively, aggressively. And if this has meant something to you, then pass along to those that you're leading. Uh, You can see more at bryantome.com or search me on Instagram. Special thanks to the band Judges for our music. You can find more from them on Instagram at thebandjudges or at facebook.com slash thebandjudges. The Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio. Ohio.